friends, welcome to the Highland Church Podcast. We believe that you were made for God's mission. We encourage you to check out our website, highlandcc.org, where you can learn more about what you are called to in Christ Jesus. Let's hear a message today that we hope will challenge, encourage you, and ultimately help you to grow and identify your purpose in the plan of God. Mark 6, starting in verse 45. Right then, Jesus made his disciples get into a boat and go to the other side of the lake towards Bethsaida. This is the Sea of Galilee. While he dismissed the crowd. And after saying goodbye to them, the disciples, Jesus went up on a mountain to pray and evening came. And the boat was in the middle of the lake, but he was alone on the land. And he saw his disciples struggling. They were trying to row forward, but the wind was blowing against them. And very early in the morning, he came to them, walking on the lake. And he intended to pass by them. When they saw him walking on the lake, they thought he was a ghost. And they screamed. Seeing him was terrifying to all of them. And just then he spoke to them. Be encouraged. It's me. Don't be afraid. And he got into the boat and the wind settled down. And his disciples were so baffled, they were beside themselves. And that's because they hadn't understood about the loaves from the feeding of the 5,000 just before, <clears throat> just before this. Excuse me. Their hearts had been changed so that they resisted God's ways. Everybody, every, every culture the world over has a story of how the world begins. And those stories are all different. But one of the commonalities that so many of those stories share is the sea, the ocean, the deep. You know, if you read Genesis 1, you'll see the deep plays a role. And in Genesis, the waters are pretty tame but when the Genesis story is retold in poetic form, like we find in the Psalms, the water, the deep, is much more resistant. Okay. Much more resistant to what God is trying to do as he's creating the world in which we live. So, for instance, we read this. This is in Psalm 74. God who makes salvation happen in the heart of the earth, you split the sea with your power. You shattered the heads of the sea monsters on the water, and you set all the boundaries of the earth in place. It's this vision of God as he's creating the world in which you and I live, coming down, grabbing hold of the water and pulling it back and creating for us this dry space for us to live our lives, you know, away from the chaos and the danger of the deep. I remember 10 years ago when I came to interview for this job, David Ralston picked Lindsay and I up from the airport and he takes us, we got a few minutes to spare before a meeting that night. So he drives us downtown, he takes us to the top of the Peabody Hotel and we look out over the Mississippi River. How many of you have stood there and seen that? It was, it was the first time I'd seen the Mississippi since I was a boy. And I mean, I almost took my breath away how big the Mississippi is. Like, this is a river? A couple of years ago, a group of men from Highland and, and I went on a canoe trip down the Mississippi River. And everybody was like, don't do that. Why would you get on a canoe in the Mississippi River? And uh, as you got into the Mississippi River and you felt it around your ankles, it's muddy and it's thick and it's swirling. And when you're up on, you know, on the top of the Peabody looking down on the Mississippi, I mean, it seems like it's just kind of gently going by. When you're up next to it, it's like a freight train. 
There's so much power in that water. And so if you, st- I mean, if you stand right beside the Mississippi River, or if you stand on the beach when a storm's rolling in over the ocean, the waves are rising and cresting, it is not hard for you to imagine why, you know, since the earliest days in human history, people have looked out at the water and thought, I am so glad I'm not out there. You know, I'm so glad that when God created the world, that he gave me this dry place to live. And that my life is not lived out there in the danger and the chaos of the water. I mean, think about the story of Noah, Noah's Ark. Remember this story in Genesis? Okay, water plays a big role in that story. What does water do? Destroy the world. <laughs> okay, water's this dangerous thing. And the minds of faithful people for generations and generations. Okay. And so if you go back to that person who's standing there on the beach side, or on the side of the Mississippi River, looking out on all that water, thanking God that God pulled the water aside and gave us this dry place to live, you would not blame that person for thinking, God, thanks for putting me here and never sending me out there. But of course, that is exactly where he sends these disciples, <laughs> out there. And you feel sorry for him. You feel even more sorry for him if you read the passage just before this, and this is where we were last week. You remember what happens right before this passage? If you've got your Bible open in your lap, you're, you're probably seeing, it's the story of the feeding of the 5,000. You remember this story? Okay, this story takes place in green grass. Remember, we're told that they're having a banquet on the green grass. There's not enough food to feed 5,000 people. Jesus takes a little bit of bread, a little fish. He starts breaking it dividing it up among all these people, and there's more than enough for everybody to eat. They're having this banquet on the green grass. And we talked about it last week. That reminds us of Psalm 23, the Lord's my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. And that's the scene there in Mark 6 when he's feeding the 5,000. It's restful. It's idyllic. Green pastures. And it's supposed to be. Jesus told the disciples, he had sent them out at the beginning of Mark 6 to go and be ambassadors for Christ, as we talked about. They come back and he says, hey, let's go rest for a while. I want you guys to just rest for a while. That's what I want. So he takes them to this green grass. They lay down. There's 12 basketfuls of leftovers. Their bellies are full. They're leaning against the baskets. You can just see them. Oh, I ate too much. Just resting there in the green grass. And then we're told right then, Right then, he sends them out. He tells them to get into the boat and go. Right then. And probably they're not surprised. You know, the disciples had already been sent out, kind of when they weren't yet ready for it. And this is another moment, so maybe they're coming to expect this from Jesus. But the difference, okay? If you sit down this afternoon, you read Mark 6, and it starts with the first time Jesus sends the disciples out. And then you get to this at the end of Mark 6, the second time he sends the disciples out. You want to know what the big difference is between the two? The first time he sends them, they're on dry ground. They go out and he says, you're going to encounter difficulties out there. There's going to be people who reject you when you go out as my ambassador. But you know what? It's as easy as this. Just shake the dust off your feet when that happens. The dust from the dry ground. And keep walking somewhere else. You're on dry ground, you're on terra firma. It can't be that bad. You're not going to drown. 
But this time, the second time, he sends them out into the water. And sure enough, they're out there in the water and the sun sets and darkness finds them. The winds start blowing, the waves start rising, and they think they're going to drown. He looks out and he sees his disciples struggling. I'm walking with this, <clears throat> this young dad right now. He's single dad, and I'll tell you what, he is a great dad. I mean, just does everything he can for his kids. He's a great dad. He also loves, loves the church. And he pours himself out as a servant for his church, and he's, he loves God. And every morning he gets up early, he just he pours into God's word. He prays all day long. He, just, he prays without ceasing, like Paul tells us to do. And this guy loves the Lord. He is following. If, if you talk to him, he'll tell you he is doing everything he can to do what God's calling him to do, to go where God sends him. He calls me out the other day. He said, Eric, why am I so lonely? You know, I'm doing what God wants me to do. Why is it so hard? Life is a struggle. Am I doing it wrong? Some of you know, we've talked about him many times, Jav and Becky Mesa. Jav and Becky are our missionaries in Papua New Guinea. They lead the Melanesian Bible College, which you all support through our Life-Giving Sunday twice a year. And um, if there's two people on this planet who go anywhere God sends them, it's Jab and Becky Mesa. I mean, they have spent decades in ministry in Papua New Guinea, crisscrossing that mountainous island in this old Jeep. They have gone so many miles through the potholed mountainous roads of Papua New Guinea that the floorboard of the Jeep literally fell out. Okay, Larry McKenzie, you all know Larry, been minister here forever. He used to be riding in shotgun, riding in the front, and he gets splashed with mud from the floorboard. And I didn't feel bad for him because at least he was riding shotgun. You know, I was in the back bouncing around in that thing. Okay, if there are two people who have gone anywhere God has sent them their whole lives, it's Jab and Becky Mesa. So they're in Papua New Guinea right now. Papua New Guinea is really struggling with COVID-19. And they also are struggling with malaria, which is this constant battle there. Jab had malaria recently, knocked him down. So I reached out to him and I got this email back. Just, I was going to just tell you about Just listen to what he said. Look at this. Thank you, brother, for checking in. <clears throat> the current update. I lost three cousin brothers, cousins. COVID-19 suspect. And a Christian brother whose family asked me to conduct services yesterday, which I did, and I got news that another brother, Sam Rejo, was one of, who was one of our NBC grads from years ago from Palm, passed away. He was like a father to me. And about a few minutes ago, Becky got news that her brother-in-law passed away this morning in Kimbe, and another student got word that his dad passed away last week. Three teachers at NBC, three teachers, Miyamo, Michael, and Joe are down sick and not teaching the past two weeks and now into the third week. Arthur and I are filling in for all the classes. I'm feeling better. I'm working on staying fit and healthy, teaching my classes, attending to other student needs. Prayers we covet, and we thank you for praying. Please let the church know. We love and appreciate you all dearly. Becky is hurt, but teaching her class and keeping the office with love and commitment. God bless. Prayers, Jab and Becky. When we follow, when we go where God sends us, 
sometimes we find ourselves in the middle of the sea and life is hard and the deep reaches up, tries to pull us under. And the temptation is to think that when my life is hard, when I feel like I'm going to drown, it's because I've taken a wrong turn. That if I was actually following where God was sending me, then my life would be good. I wouldn't be encountering these waves and these winds. My favorite preacher, Charles Spurgeon, he talked about this passage, and I think he's right. This is what he said. Two sentences, maybe a better sermon than I'll preach today in these two sentences. Their sailing was not merely under his sanction, but by his express command. They were in the right place, and yet they met with a terrible storm. I mean, can you hold those two things together? They were in the right place, and they met a terrible storm. Both of them. You know, if that's true, if in following and going where Jesus sends me, my life can still be terribly difficult, what do I need to know? I think that's where this passage really comes to life for us. So let's just, let's dive in. Let's pull a couple strands out of this passage. Did you notice that as soon as they begin to struggle, what we read is that Jesus saw, he saw his disciples struggling. He saw his disciples struggling. All right. Just to be clear, this is not Jesus on the beach, you know, and them a couple hundred yards away. And he's like, yeah, I think I can see them. Okay. You know, the scholars who've looked at this passage have concluded a couple things. One, this is nighttime. At this point, it's dark. If he's up on the mountainside and they're in the middle of the water, they're something like four to six miles away. And he sees them struggling. We're not talking about, you know, normal sight here. We're talking about this supernatural vision and watching of Jesus Christ and of God the Father, the eyes that he always keeps on those who are doing his will. I'm reminded of what Job, you remember in the Old Testament, Job who has this terrible time. One of his friends says this, he says, he does not take his eyes off the righteous. And so if that was where this story ended, if there wasn't the whole walking on water bit, if it was just that he sends his disciples out into the storm and he sees their struggle, that I think that would be enough. You know, how many of you in, in some difficult moment of your life, somebody has come to you and they've just confirmed, hey, I see you right now. I see what's going on. And suddenly, because you're not the only person who's going, you're, you're not just going through this alone. Somebody else at least sees me. That makes all the difference. You know, Lindsay and I watched this TV show for years and it, in, the, in the show, there's the grandparents who've been married 40 some odd years and their marriage has just been really terrible. The, the husband is just kind of stubborn and cranky all the time and kind of overlooked his wife for 40 years. And at one moment in the show, he finally looks at her and he says, I hear you and I see you. It's like suddenly 40 years of problems just resolved. He sees her. It's a powerful thing to be seen when you're struggling. But that's not where the story stops. It keeps going. He He comes to them. Look at this. Very early in the morning, he came to them walking on the lake. 
intending to pass by them. Isn't that last part a little curious? <laughs> like, okay, you're going to go through the trouble of walking on the water. Couldn't you, like, stop? Hang out for us? And then we're struggling here. Um, what's that about? Okay, here's what we think about this passage. We're pretty sure this is an allusion to two, at least two, really important scenes in the Old Testament, one with Elijah and the other with Moses. Let's look at the one with Moses. You remember this in Exodus when Moses, who's you know, God's man, he's chosen to deliver his people from Egypt. Moses asked God, God, can I see your glory? He says this, he says, please show me your glorious presence. And the Lord said, well, I'll make all my goodness pass in front of you. But you can't see my face because no one can see me and live. And the Lord said, so here's a place near me where you'll stand beside this rock. And my glorious, as my glorious presence passes by, I'll set you in a gap in the rock. And I'll cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I'll take away my hand and you will see my back but my face won't be visible. I think that's what Jesus has in mind here. All right, so let me, let me just kind of walk through this with you. Jesus sees his disciples in the middle of the sea struggling. And he concludes the most important thing for them right now is not rescue, the most important thing for them in their moment of struggle is that they see my glory. So I'm going to pass by. Now we're, we're doing this exercise in our staff meetings right now. Buster's leading this where every staff member shares a hero of theirs, uh, what he calls a happy, something good in their life and a hardship. And we've laughed so much as we've talked about those heroes and the happies but when we talked about those hardships, I mean, I've known these staff members for 10 years, and I've heard things in there that I didn't even know, things they've gone through. Just difficult times, cancer and loss and sadness. And I'll tell you, you know, even staff members at a church who talk about these hardships, none of us are like, I wish I could go back to that time. You know, how many of us were in the middle of a hardship are thinking, wow, this is great? no. You know, we want God to pluck us out of there. You know, if God won't come down and part the waters and let us walk through on dry ground, we want him to send in the Coast Guard with the helicopter and lift us up out of there. Or like, pull me out of the hardship. That's what we want Jesus to do. That's what these guys want Jesus to do. They don't want him to pass by. They want him to come and pluck them out of the storm and the sea. And what Jesus thinks they need more than rescue is just to see his glory. When you're suffering, you just need to see my glory. The early church, you know, these people who were just fearlessly, courageously going to the ends of the earth for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ, suffered the whole time. Persecution upon persecution. You know what Peter said to them? Remember this? He said, rejoice. Rejoice as you share Christ's suffering. You share his suffering now so that you may also have overwhelming joy when his glory is revealed. My suffering, his glory. Jesus says, that's all you need. 
let's go back to that bit about walking on the water. Let's not skip that. So remember when we started, we started thinking about creation and the role that the water, the deep, has always played in the creation stories the world over, including the story we find in this book. In all of those stories, water is wild. It is dangerous. It represents the chaos of my life. You know, when, when life is difficult, what you can imagine is, you know, God kind of holding back the water with his arm and the water just spilling over into my life. And those are the difficulties we face. Water is this, this terrible force of danger for me. And yet in our story, not just the story here, Mark, but in the story we find in this book that shapes our whole lives, what you see again and again is that our Lord is Lord over that sea. That he creates the dry ground apart from it. That he splits it when he chooses. That he lights it on fire. And that like we see here, he walks on it. That our God is Lord of that sea. And so when Jesus walks up to the disciples and they're scared because they've seen his glory and they're not ready for that. They don't know how to interpret this and how many of us can attest to that when we've seen God's glory and we did not know what to make of it. And he walks up to him and he says, be encouraged. It's me. Don't be afraid. Literally that it's me, you know what it, it actually is, is be encouraged. I am. You've heard that before, haven't you? That's what God says to Moses before God sends Moses into the storm of Egypt, going to be the most difficult season of his life. The last thing he says to Moses, I am. In other words, I'm God, Moses, and I've got this. There is no sea which I cannot control. And that's what we see here is Jesus comes walking to the disciples on the water that is drowning them. He is Lord of this sea. So you begin to tie all this together. And you remember that they don't find themselves on this sea by their own choice, but by his command that they have gone where he has sent them. They've been obedient to his calling in their life and they have found themselves in the middle of the sea, struggling. And here's what we believe. As he comes walking to them on that sea, here's what we believe. That he is Lord of the sea he sends me on. And if I believe that, he is Lord of the sea he sends me on, then I'm not afraid. Then I will go where he sends me. And as I go and I enter those times of suffering and difficulty where it feels like I might drown, either I am going to be rescued or I am going to see his glory and maybe not both, but whichever it is, it's good for me. And so I'm going to go where he sends me, trusting in why he sends me, trusting in the one who sends me, because he and only he is Lord of the sea he sends me on. And so I go unafraid. 